Welcome back. I am here today with Danny Gomez, one of the truest of innovators in the Department of Defense. If you're listening, you still got to forgive me because my voice is still recovering from this long week of a conference. I'm like going through puberty. <laughs> but man, extraordinary, diverse background from I'm sure we'll talk about targeting an Iraqi mill factory the day after you were trying to reopen it. And then teaching soldiers all around the world and really getting into everything, even off-Broadway stuff, man. I'm super interested to hear like how your experiences in these different places have built on your passion about empowering national defense and that. So thank you for joining me, man. Thanks for recording. I absolutely honored to be here, and I always love talking about this stuff. As we've been laughing it up even before we hit record, and just jumped in there. But uh, yeah, guys, hey, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Gomez. I'm a, a Army guy in the reserves. I have a long and storied career. Twenty years in, went to Iraq twice. Did Special Operations of Civil Affairs. Was an instructor there. Did my stint at Joint Special Operations University, teaching innovation and creativity. And now in my civilian job, I have a company that teaches special operations training, human dynamics, using immersive training techniques, right? So I got, I started off as an entertainment company, realized that it's very expensive and a lot of work and uh, switched it back to teaching special operations and in, in, in creative thinking and, and human dynamics and things like that. So now I run, I try to row both boats just as fast. But I, I'm with you guys, everybody listening to this, if you're in the DRD, I'm here to help you fight that bureaucracy. And because uh, I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two, right? And in grass, we've definitely seen a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, definitely have, man. Definitely have. I, I, it's one of the, like, the pieces that is so interesting about your background is in that, uh, like the the media, the entertainment, and pulling that now into a place where soldiers can not only test ideas, but validate solutions. Can you tell us more about what you do with lab and that? Yeah, sure. My new project is called the lab, otherwise known as the living adaptive battlefield. And what the reason why I created this is so that big organizations or even small organizations can come up with ideas and fight them against a, a neutral opponent or a neutral system to see if they're worth taking to the next level, right? To troubleshoot them and things like that. We're not talking about fighting or testing ideas like drone cargoes or cargo, right? How fast can a drone can fly? How much can it carry? Stuff like that. Weapon systems. We want to focus on testing ideas, right? What if we built an island in the South China Sea? What would, ha what would happen? How would that change the dynamics on the ground? What if we created our own special operations team uh, made of completely females or things like that? We want to help these organizations test these esoteric ideas, right? And put them into reality. And the way we do that is using gameplay and storytelling, right? So we understand what the customer wants, right? Once wants to test out, we build a story world around that. And then we gamify it so that there's like an action reaction kind of sequence to, to fight it. It's not necessarily a war game, but it will challenge these guys to think creatively, to create different ideas for potential solutions in the future. So you're not only, you're not only working to identify what are all the systemic assumptions in people's ideas, 
Because when you create an idea, you really start to, it's yours. It lives with you, it was yours, it is your baby. So you have a lot of assumptions around it. Some of those that are scary to validate. You're working with these organizations to validate a lot of those assumptions. Yeah, and, and of things that are hard to create in real life, right? Building a base somewhere or creating an entire unit, right? Yeah. The SF guys have been creating this new concept called the, the soft space triad, right? Where they have a cyber guy, space guy, and an ODA. I don't think they tested it out. They tested it in real life. Super expensive. Maybe we could have tested it out, helped them test it out beforehand, work out some kinks and stuff. I don't sure. know how the program's doing lately, but that's just an example of where we can be value added before committing a lot of time and money towards something. Yeah, because those things have a lot of ripple effects across the whole political landscape, economic landscape, military landscape, all this. Yeah, when the boss said something, all the bosses below repeat it. So it's like, all the way down. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that. I don't know how this one went that much, but I, know, but I do know that it's expensive. Yeah, it is expensive. Yeah. Um, so. You started putting all of this idea, this concept together many years ago. When did like, when did, how many years ago was it? Was it at the milk factory in Iraq or? Oh yeah. So now the, yeah, that was a long, that was 2004. That's almost 20 years, 19 years ago. The concept started when I was instructor at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center in school, teaching civil affairs, the civil affairs qualification course. We put soldiers in dynamic situations with unique stories and challenge them to become adaptable, to use their creative creativity and to use their unique skill of being human, right? Talking to people, figuring them out, trying to find out what they want, wants, needs, desires, and then to use all that to execute the commander's intent. So we taught that and it's extremely challenging because People are weird and it's hard to talk to people. And we're sending these students like two months after they graduate, literally across the entire world, literally. So when I was doing that, I was like, wow, this is special because we're doing something I think that no one else does, teaching this unique human skill that every commander says that they want, knows that they want, but doesn't put the effort to get what they get, get it right. Which is creative leaders, right? Which is absolutely needed in mission command, right? Mission command, boom, guy goes in, execute, right? It's absolutely needed in special operations, minimal guidance, austere environment, lack of support, limited command control, execute, right? Make it happen. These are creativity, adaptability is absolutely needed in all those situations. So when I was teaching this, I saw this opportunity to gamify it, make it a game, right? To make it better. So I took some of those skills, tried an entertainment, created my own little show where we put guests into those type of experiences. They absolutely loved it, but it was really expensive. So I changed back to helping our government, helping the national security apparatus with those same set of skills that I learned there. Yeah. I think it's super interesting because that set of skills is, we both live this in our time in the military. It is needed. We say we want creative leaders. But at the same time, we sit, we go, hey, here's your left limit. Here's your right limit. Stay inside that, face forward, execute the mission that I described and how I wanted it done. 
don't necessarily turn back to me and ask me for things because if you need it, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder and I'm going to hand you a new thing or a new process. That's just how the, the military works. Just go do, fight, win, missions, wars. And if there's a new way, a better way, I'm going to, I'm going to reach forward and give it to you. So with that, it like that way of operating made us think that if I come up with, I'm using air quotes, creative solutions to my challenges, it, it can be interpreted as just complaining. So why are you focusing so much on the challenge? Just go do, you're wasting time, right? Yeah. And that's a, I feel like it's a little more heavy handed on the conventional side, right? Because it's a lot more orders and top down different process than special operations. But in reality, it's in both places. And that brings me to my quote that I created. Creativity is rewarded on the battlefield and punished in garrison, right? That is what I firmly believe because those who are most creative in a fight win because they create novel, unexpected challenges for the adversary or overcome uh, challenges proposed by the adversary in unique ways. And uh, meanwhile, if you do, if you have that same type of mentality in garrison and you propose these new novel solutions to in, enhance training or do a mission better, you get viewed as complaining, rocking the boat, outside the box thinker who needs to be squashed and you activate the antibodies of the bureaucracy, which is counterintuitive to create it, creativity. Bureaucracy's main goal is that the bureaucracy must live and creativity is an exact challenge to that. So all the antibodies get activated and they destroy you. So how do we as members of that bureaucracy and war as a warfighter who needs to execute creativity, how do we do that? How do we balance both those things? It's very challenging. I'll give you that. Right? I remember back when I was in the muck factory, right? I was a second lieutenant. Holy crap. And my battalion commander had me in charge of all the civil affairs projects in the AO. And I would ask him what he needs and what his intent was. And he would tell me, and then I'd create a plan and show him the plan and execute. Then 14 months later, I got put back as a fire direction officer under my artillery battery. And the commander asked me to inventory some radios. So I said, why do we need to inventory the radios? And he said, don't ask me why, just do it. So you have two completely different mission sets. One where asking questions, it provided clarity and allowed me to execute the mission easier. The other one is shut up and color faster, harder. This happens to everybody. I know we've been beaten down. If you're an officer, warrant officer, NCO, you've been beaten down by some leaders before. But how does the military balance that? How do we create a culture of innovation? Excuse me, I'm air quoting and making mocking noises. But uh, we need, it's, it is literally our mandate to fight and win our nation's wars. Creativity is literally needed in that. But we do not put any energy towards it, right? It's a paradox. Yeah. How do we keep this organization alive with this bureaucracy while also trying new things? I think it's a very simple way to do it, by the way, is create an experimental, experimental units and try little incremental approaches. But God forbid I propose that solution. No, I think you're absolutely right on that. Part of this is connected even to the 
we're before we hit record, we were talking about the challenges that we're having recruiting and that. But I let's see if I can try to connect my thoughts here. Skills going into the military, skills coming in, it's all, it's easier for us, especially as officers. If you had, you went through college and now you're coming in with your commission, it is your skills coming in, your experiences, it's easier for us to connect the value uh, of what we've done before to how we can use that life experience now in the military. Leaving the military or in the military, I think that it is harder for us to find the value of our experiences and apply them forward. What's your experience with that? What, what is your experience of, I did that before, how do I use that moving forward? If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, when you're in the military, you have a specific military job, military occupational specialty, MOS, right? and you're supposed to do the thing. But if you're in situations where you require breaking outside of that mold, you're not prepared for that. So you need to use your own skill sets and talents. And, and a lot of those don't match with, with what we're good at. So if people love to read about business or uh, leadership, well, leadership's probably the only one that transfers over, but fishing, stuff like that, it doesn't really tie into the military, but, but it gives you the opportunity to think differently and add those creative thoughts to the military processes. So even as something as benign as fishing, can help you when you're facing a challenge in the military. And a lot of the military, a lot of times in the military, you have to overcome certain challenges. You're a problem solver. That's exactly when people ask me what a second lieutenant does or a first lieutenant does, you're a problem solver. You just got to go and solve the problems. You are a leader, right? But you're more of a problem solver, right? Because you have to always be fixing all that stuff. So I think that you can innate human talent of the individual should be used in the military. People just don't know how to focus that and use it as like their superpower. I'll yeah. tell you what, the most creative being of energy in the world is a private, a left unsupervised with too much time on his hands, right? They will create stuff that's terrifying and also magnificent, right? Whether it's creating human parachutes during a windstorm, or maybe figuring out some type of new way to have the work chat or something like that, right? They can create amazing stuff. The question is, do we use those talents in our organization? Is there a process for that? Or do, we, or do they just get lucky or get unlucky? Right? So like, how do we use this skill? Because our, the thing that, the re, one of the reasons, this is factual, believe me, right? Our military is better than every other military is because we have NCOs, right? And we use our NCOs and we give them autonomy to do things that the most dangerous thing is a squad leader, right? A squad leader who could move his squad and to execute and accomplish that mission. So how do we highlight the talents of our organization, of our individuals and let them shine, right? In our military, every branch, Every river rank. I think I might actually be a living testament to the fact that the bureaucracy of our systems can really stamp out somebody's optimism and, uh, and even their creativity a little bit. So someone who's worked inside the DOD system, I think you can fully acknowledge that any LT, 
any civil affairs operator can develop the skills to make them effective, but not necessarily uniquely creative. So how did, can you walk us through, were there key milestones that led you to instructing special operators at places like Joint Special Operations University and that, what were the milestones that you get? It's like a little bit of luck and opportunity, right? Like what? People ask me, what's the most important thing we taught at SWIC, at, at the JFK Special Warfare Center? And I thought, and I said it was adaptability, right? Being able to go into unique situations and thrive. So we sent, I got sent to Sri Lanka Maldives, where it was me and an NCO. I had to go on a trip with a Sri Lankan general up north. He had to go to the Maldives to run a military planning conference with three colonels from the Navy, a three colonel, two army colonels and a Navy captain. What prepared us for that? You can't prepare for that stuff, right? You have to have unique talents and then some type of knowledge to, to do that type of stuff. Meanwhile, you got other people in the middle of Afghanistan doing DOE missions, right? Build stability operations and whatever. So in all those situations, when my experience, I knew that I had to instill adaptability into the students. There was no... To get to the schoolhouse, I just said I wanted to teach because when I went through the schoolhouse, quote, it was the worst experience I ever had in the military, end quote. They taught us nothing. If it weren't for uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Foster, it would have been an absolute travesty and everybody would have left uh, uninformed and untrained. But he made a difference. And I said, when I get to teach, I'm going to come back and change this, right? So that's how I got to the schoolhouse. For JSAO, I just got, I got lucky that there was a spot open in the innovation cell, which by the way, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, just in case you guys were wondering, wow, that sounds great. Where can I sign up? Doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, sorry to tell you guys. I can't even go into that, but so how I, that's how I got there. And for me, it's just like everybody else in the military. The military has a path for you. There's also other paths you can take, right? You just have to be able to move yourself over into those little paths when your opportunity arises, right? If not, the military is going to tell, tell you to go, right? If, here's a, a great tip of advice for anybody who wants to join the military. If you want to make general, do exactly what the military tells you every single time and you'll make general because you, you have no autonomy, but you'll make general. And don't question it. If you want to benefit yourself to the most ability, right? You, take control of your own path as it moves through the process. That's my military advice. That's dangerous advice, so, but well, there's a lot of truth there. The, uh, it all, I like how you described your experience through Shalaka because some of that is, is challenge. Some of that is obstacle. And, but if you're constantly just looking at it as a challenge or, or, or an obstacle or something that maybe doesn't have to be overcome the adaptability piece if you don't look at it as okay i can be adaptable then you never find the opportunity in the obstacle and that's what kills your growth right oh uh, yeah personal growth or mission success right yeah uh, the, the dave foster said just if you go there and you play xbox in your room all day you will achieve mission success because you won't get kicked out of country but no one will question you Right? Yeah. Like also you won't get anything done. If you, but if you want to do stuff, 
now is when the friction happens, right? And if you're yeah. if you have friction, then the, the the boat's rocking, right? Then you start going out there, and people ask, "What's that person doing out there? Was why, why is he asking about this? What is he going to do over there?" And then people get nervous. There was a point in my tour where the son of the president was visiting hospitals that we were going to build and putting plaques on them saying, brought to you by Roger Poxa, brought to you by us. And I told the ambassador, I, I, I reported up, I said, hey, this is what's happening. This is why it, it, it might hurt us. What do you want to do? Because you could say, oh no, we did that or do an opening ceremony yourself or whatever, or join him on the opening ceremony. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. And then one day the ambassador finds out the message finally got to her and they called me back from a mission and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I was just talking to them, see what's going on up there with the army guys. And they goes, why is this guy stealing our projects? And I'm like, by spreading the president's son, I can't stop him. He's just taking the opportunity of he's, he, his organization approved us creating these schools. So you can, with the nuance thing again, he can say that he's bringing us the project. And they said, and then the, the defense attache took me aside. He's like, hey, just stop everything for a month. Because they don't even know, they don't even know what to do with you. And like, okay. And literally the entire month of August. Well, because this, there's nothing, I, I couldn't do anything. The people, the, I, I, I maxed their, I don't know, risk capacity. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that just comes with a job. That's just, if you want to do your mission, you do that. If you don't, stay in your room, play Xbox all day. Stay in your room. Yeah, then you just won't get anything done, but you won't get the mission accomplished. So. Well, go back to what you said about uh, this culture of innovation. That's what we want. We want the culture of innovation. We say we want it. I like to think of, this is a, a way to look at it. The army is actually only about six people big. You have direct influence of only about five people around you. And that's just how we're structured in the army. A brigade commander only has three to five or three to six battalions. A battalion commander only has about three to six companies. And a, a company commander only has about three to six platoons and, and on and down and oh, down yeah. to the lowest level of a team, which has about three to three to six people on it. So the army is only about six, excuse me, six people big. What's your advice for leaders? How can they be, how can we speed up the spread of the virus so that a culture of failure and learning can be appreciated across the force, not just their six people? It's really tough. It's really tough because, and the reason why is because we're a bureaucracy, right? And we don't value those things. So if you fail, you, you get in trouble, right? If SpaceX blows up a rocket, do they go, oh, Article 15, like investigation? No, they, everybody cheers when the rocket explodes and then they launch another rocket, right? And that's what makes them an innovative culture, right? Amazon has the same thing. They are mandated to create experiments. And if they fail, they're rewarded basically, right? They get the, you tried or whatever thing, but their organization values that. So we need to value that as well. We need to have metrics that if you want to institutionalize it, you need to have metrics that champion 
failure and taking risks and failure when acceptable. And we're not talking about getting soldiers killed or anything like that. Like we, we need, what we do is inherently risky. Military parachuting, riding on a helicopter, ranges. Those are all extremely dangerous and we mitigate them as much as possible. But I'm talking about taking chances with uh, organizations or processes or how we spend funds or stuff like that. We can test new ideas and concepts, champion stuff. For example, let's just go here. You got OERs, right? Do you yeah, get OERs? I'm sorry, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. OER. One of the things you put in OER back in the conventional army when there's no wars, you were the unit training officer. You were the unit family FRG officer. You held the company ball, right? Th those are things that you put on your OER as a success because you did it well. Yeah. There's a lieutenant I just met in the 82nd Airborne Innovation Lab. He got a guy at Etsy to 3D print 30 head mounts because the head mounts are on back order and they wouldn't arrive for nine months and the unit was going to Jared to see next week. If that lieutenant doesn't put it on his OER support form, he's failed. If the captain doesn't acknowledge that is a success, he failed, right? That, that's just something that we need to put and then like champion towards, right? If those things broke, at least you tried, right? If the head mounts broke or whatever, hey, you had head mounts instead of no head mount, but you tried. And he, he uses no money for that too. So that's how we institute, that's how we do it from the low level. At the high level, we need to champion it. I'll tell you what doesn't champion it, these giant innovation projects and stuff like that. It's all great, but it's innovation theater. You know that, I know that, right? Let's talk about that. Are we ready? <laughs> Are we ready to put that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Ready for this one, people? Strap yourselves in. Dragon's Lair. Excellent. It's an innovation contest. They took a bunch of applicants who have an innovative process or a product that will create positive change in the military. All these people judge them and stuff like that. And they selected a winner, the team of a PFC and a, a lieutenant. And they created a system using Arduino kit and Wi-Fi that detects um, mold level in, in a building to see if it's susceptible to mold. These two kids, they all say it, kids, did great. They use their skills that the military did not teach them, their own unique talents, to create a solution to an extreme problem. Mold damages every single installation in the military and costs billions of dollars, right? And they were rewarded with a school of choice, uh, an award and stuff like that. Excellent. So great. So that's all the good news. And the fact that the, the units are championing this and the generals are out there saying, these guys did amazing. You should be like them. Excellent. Look, turn the coin over now. The United States DOD has a trillion dollar budget. Their job is to have buildings that don't have mold in it. And they fail at that job every single day in every single installation. They fail because of bureaucracy, limitations on contracts, excuses, and garbage. Not a single property management, multi-million, billion-dollar company, the, the Cochrane Group, the, the Trump Organization, whatever, all these organizations that own real estate, they have no mold problems. Yet we do, and we have a trillion-dollar budget, 
And instead of solving that problem, using creativity at the highest level, using a massive weapon system of a trillion dollar budget, we rely on two kids to come up with an Arduino solution. So you guys got to get with me in this one. Excellent. Also terribly tragic. Something's got to give. It's a paradox. Yeah. We got to solve the solution together. doesn't matter what general you are or whatever. Sir, we have a trillion dollar budget and our men are in it. The Swick Barrett got condemned three months ago. Like, yeah. Right? They're old barracks. They're condemned. Do you think that the problem is because that not everyone thinks this way? Absolutely not everybody thinks this way. The problem is we're in a bureaucracy that doesn't reward success or failure. It doesn't mean it was like (laughs) guy who works super hard, guy who doesn't work at all, and they both lead to the same job, right? Right? Because it's it's one of it's one of the things we we say we're a meritocracy. Some of our organization is a meritocracy, right? But I don't know if I were I were commander and I molded my barracks, I would lose my mind. Yeah, I know the I know the garrison commander on uh, on the base formerly known as Fort Bragg, and he's an amazing dude. And I know that if someone told him there's mold in barracks, he would lose his mind in trying to get that fixed. But yeah. if, you know, also in in chasing that tail, you probably reach some roadblocks along the way, right? And that's when yeah. you got to be innovative. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned a couple of people. You mentioned like Dave Foster. Was there anybody else in your career that really influenced you to shape your way of thinking? Dave Foster is the only one. Dave Foster. He's the only one because he came in, he literally came back from leave. And one of the guys in the office said, oh, why are you here? And he's like, what? And they said, didn't you get transferred to SWIC? He's what? And then he got literally transferred to Swag and was put in charge of our class. And he saw what was going on there and he made all these changes and got in so much trouble for it. He got in so much trouble for it. Uh, Our curriculum was designed for reservists. It had nothing to do with special operations. He knew he was deploying people into the fight in Iraq and Afghanistan and he had to make a change. And he did that at the cost of counselings. He got in trouble so much. The commander was a terrible person. And then somehow it was recognized that he did create amazing stuff. And then he was created the company commander and then he was a battalion commander and whatnot. But um, the thing is that he tried and he didn't care when he got in trouble. And that's what we need in our organizations. We need to have people willing to take the risk of their own careers to improve the unit. That's the yeah, principal, uh, principal deviancy. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to deviate from the conventional past based on my principles and, and no, no matter the recourse on myself, I'm going to continue to push forward and make the organization better. That's our job. Experience. It's in our job. It's in our, it's mandated, right? Yeah. You could, if you yeah. like logically write it down and you could connect it to every single thing that is written for us, right? But it doesn't work that way. For example, when I was a commander, a company commander, I created a unique training exercise for my guys to prepare them to deploy to literally seven different countries. And I got nothing but strife and grief. I got counseled. I got complained to. I got yelled at just because I did a training exercise that cost 
no one a single dollar that asks for nothing anybody doesn't ask for, a couple people to, to, to help support. But because I did it in a unique way, I was excoriated. Excoriated. But guess yeah. what? The soldiers said it was the best training they've ever received in the United States military. <clears throat> and then when they deployed, they encountered more than five of the situations that we trained on and experienced in the training in real life. And they called me and said, remember when we did this in training? It just happened to me in real life. So that's what matters. And those same people still call me and talk to me today. Every single, almost every single one of them, all amazing officers, NCOs, and, and soldiers. So, so that's what matters. But my commander said, quote, your creativity scares me and I don't like it. During my counseling. The quotes, end quotes. That's the quote like, going in my book. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You're created. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. The person that you are, like Danny, you're a super upbeat, optimistic person. Even when confronted with what seems like is an unwinnable situation or an unwinnable set of circumstances, when they're all together. That really burn, it can burn people out. It does burn a lot of creative leaders out. Um, and so what are your, what are your, do you have any daily habits, any mindset skills that you're just. All my habits are poison. Don't do, poison. Don't, do, don't do any of my habits. My, my, my goal is I'm absolutely a being of pure dynamic energy and creativity. That's my curse. It's my curse and my talent and my superpower. So some people do not like that especially in the military. Oh my God. And now like in 20 years, the cynicism has got me too. Sometimes I'll see stuff and I'll immediately right, shoot it down because it, I've been there. I've seen it fail and everything like that. But we also got to try too, right? So I'm trying to be more upbeat as I, I have to be more energetic, even though I was already energetic, but I have to combat that cynicism. My, my daily habit is to, they're all bad. But for everyone, I say, if, if you're a commander of soldiers, for example, don't talk to your soldiers about their job ever. If you're talking to them, right? Never. I've never talked to my soldiers about my job. I think I, I was a commander for 26 months. I don't think I ever once talked to my soldiers about the job. I, I, when I talk to them, I talk about everything but the job. Because why? When we have meetings and crap, that's when we talk about the job, right? Yeah, that's what they, so you don't talk about the job when you're talking about them, talking with them in person. That's the same thing I'm going to do with these guys. I just, first weekend with my unit, I have very rarely talked about the job when we're outside of meeting. And I won't next two years when I'm a commander, I'm not going to talk about job. I'm talking about, talk about soldiers. I don't care for them. Right. A lot of people like habits. I start working out, drinking less caffeine, good sleep habits. Those are all really good. I'll tell you what good, this is a good mental habit I could share. I have a therapist, right? Everybody should get go the therapy once in a while. Whether you think you need it or you don't, right? It gives you something positive to look for. Spend time with family. You need that. It's your energy, right? It gives you strength and power. And they grow up too fast, so don't take that for granted. I play a lot of video games, probably too much. You play video games. What video games do you do? Oh, I have a hardcore addiction to League of Legends. 
I tried out for the Army esports team, and they said I was the best lieutenant colonel that I was trying out. And I said, wait a minute, am I the only lieutenant colonel trying out? But uh, yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great game. But, uh, yeah, I like to keep, I keep busy with the movies, comics, yeah. video games, stuff like that. Anything that has amazing storylines and stuff like that to help you think differently. One of the things that we do in the lab, we have a thing called BiSci, which is fiction science, where we study fiction and how we can use fiction to better our craft in the military, where it's a positive look. What can we do to change? What will it look like? What's going on now? What are unique advantages that the enemy and enemies is doing? When has fiction shown us this before? Those are the stuff that I love to do and it makes me really interested in the military. Nobody talks about that. It's very, we do not have a branch designed for that. Every branch, every organization with the word future in it is actually nothing about the future. That's where, so that's what we, I love to do that. So I always want to talk with people about that, whether it's drone swarms or bio-human grafting or exoskeletons. I'm always down for right. talking about that. What your next thing you're moving into is you're taking command, right? You're taking command. Yes. Yeah. Counter command. Ten. Okay. What excites you about that? What of all of this are you taking for? What is the enemy to your culture that you're going to spearhead and attack on? We're we're just gonna number one thing is I'm gonna take care of my people and execute the mission. And our mission is to train up to be prepared to execute uh, military. Military police operations. So that's my mantra. Take care of the people, execute the mission, and we'll be good. I, we'll, I've met some of the guys that are great guys. We have a great organization, uh, great staff. So we're going to be doing that. And, and uh, yeah, that's the main goal there. And are you, is that organization, that, what are they doing with the future of technology and military policing? Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, tell me about that. We don't, uh, I have to find out. We... Right now, it's just a lot of training, training. Yeah. That's the big, that's the thing that everybody focuses on, the training calendar and executing your, getting up to getting all the light screen and I'll go be, uh, I have to go experience that for myself to see them train, yes. see their operations, see their equipment, everything that I've seen before, like the ASVs, the army armed security vehicle, they got rid of those there. We might yeah. get some JLTVs. I got to experience the new M17, great, and vast improvement over the Beretta, lighter, less kickback, shoots a little, the sights are a little low, but it's fine. I qualified, right? <laughs> but yeah, but it's a, that, that's a great weapon system. So I'm looking forward to seeing that type of, seeing what else we got out there. But you seem like a battalion commander. It's definitely like soft truth number one, right? Oh, we say that, right? Uh, humans are more important than hardware. That's a fact, right? Humans will win all of our wars, right? Um, people say, oh, nuclear atomic bomb won a second world war. People created that. Yeah. People built it and then they flew it there. So, and then someone made the decision to do it too. So it's always about humans in special operations or the conventional army. It, that's our greatest resource. And we should never forget that, which I, I know I'm talking to you guys your ear off here, but there's a, there's two 
extraordinary movements that are happening in the, D in the DOD, which again are paradoxical, which yeah. is number one, we're trying to turn humans into machines. We always want to know their stats, their blood type, whatever, their resting heart rate. We want to know when they should sleep, when they should eat, blah, blah, blah. And then we want to push them to their extreme, make them carry stuff, all this other stuff. But we want them to make decisions like decision trees, right? Always you make decisions with like decision trees. But that's actuality, that's actually taking away the humanity of the soldier. So by making a machine, making a black and white operating system. That's what that leads to is uh, a policeman like shutting down a lemonade stand, right? Is it illegal? Technically follow the path. Yes, it's illegal. Does not comply. Doesn't have a food beverage license and certification, whatever. Also, the kids are selling some damn lemonade, right? But when you create people who are robots, that's what happens. At the same time, that same military is trying to turn robots into people. Right? We're trying to make them have ethics. Robots don't have ethics. You program them, and then the programmers had ethics, and they get programmed into the robot or, or AI or software or hardware, whatever you call it. But we're trying to turn them into people, right? We have dogs that look like dogs and treat them like dogs, but they're not dogs. They're robots, right? We have algorithms that we have. Oh, this human resources using AI in their command selection list, right? I have the exact specifics of it. Well, from an article I read, though, is that it is making it, 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 it's taking, it's freeing up time for humans, right? So the article took it down from three weeks of work to two days of work. But what you're doing is you're to trying to, to try to speed it up, but they're also trying to take the, they want to take the bias out, yeah. not. I'm not talking about like race bias, just like bias bias. But instead, when you use AI, you're exponentializing that bias. So if you, one of the articles stated that it looked at senior rater comments for promote above peers. Not everybody gets that. But what you're doing is that's a, a function created by humans that does that. Is that the way we pick the best and the brightest and talented to lead? I would say no, but when you have the machine look for those words and weed out other words, you're exponentializing the selection of that, right? So we have to ensure that we're doing it the right way, that the machines are not turning into bureaucrats themselves. So of the two challenges, humans turning into machines turning into humans, we can't have, we can't have that. If you tell a machine to guard that fence and shoot whatever comes over it, they're going to shoot it. But if it's a kid, a soldier would be like, yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't shoot that kid right now. Does this warrant me shooting this kid? It, it, can we do something else? Versus a robot's going to shoot the kid unless you program a whole set of different knowledge trees in there. So where are we going with this? We need to think about that. We're not yeah, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough one to do, especially when we don't even fully understand our own humanity and psychology. And No, no, we do not. We know that, but uh, yeah, I think we need to focus. We need to talk about these things because they matter. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Hey, so so far, man, you've hit on a lot of really awesome things about like, this idea of stop looking for 
maybe don't look at things as obstacles, identify some opportunities so that way you can increase your own level of adaptability. Like you, you call it adaptability. Also, we talked about like failure, appreciation of failure lies, it rides on the back of leadership. And like you had your own leaders who said things like your creativity scares, scares me. Which is a common thing we have to fight against. I love how you talked about your habits and mindset. Now, not everybody's is the same. Or it, you, and you interpret what you do as poisonous to someone else, but it works for you. It's what gives you your energy, your drive, and all that. What if you had one last lesson that you could drop to anybody who's listening? Tips for aspiring entrepreneurs or leaders. Some quote. What would it be that you would drop to them? Oh man, never give up because that's when you lose, right? If you don't, if you don't give up and you keep trying, you'll, you'll eventually make it. Right? So like, I'm not talking about if you have a really good idea and you're in the military and you want to get that idea done, you might not be able to get that idea done, but don't give up with your spirit, right? Try to do it, right? Make them say no, right? If, if you, what you have is a solution that will save money and lives and stuff like that, keep trying, right? understand the situational awareness of will it is is should i keep pushing it this way or should i seek an alternate path because that's one of the big skills that you need to understand with innovation and and creativity Uh, sometimes you'll meet a brick wall you got to go around it or another way and you need to do that smartly so it doesn't cost you your livelihood as well which is unfortunate that we have to think about that but you don't want to innovate yourself to death right if your boss, if you have a solution and your boss doesn't want to hear it, he doesn't want to hear it. So you're going straight at it. will just keep damaging you. Just keep trying, trying to figure out a way. It might not be the right time. It might have to be done later, but that's fine. You, you do what you can. It's not, it's not the topic, but if you need help, call me. But a lot of people experience that challenge, right? If I keep doing it. They don't want to listen to me. Sometimes they don't want to listen to you. One of the biggest lessons I learned when I got out of active duty was just because someone says they want a problem solved doesn't mean they want the problem solved, which is absolutely like a life. It's a life lesson. I'll tell you what, but I was a 36 when I learned that, which is very unfortunate. So if someone says, I want you to give the guys the best training they need to deploy. Just because they say that does not mean that they, they mean that. They might just mean don't rock the boat. Right? Yeah. So you have to understand that. And it, sometimes that you can't know that until after the fact, but understand that just because someone says something doesn't mean they want the promise. Right? So you yeah. have to understand that for yourself and people you work with, worth and work for. Otherwise, you'll be creating a, a solution to something that nobody asked for. They said they asked for it. They're not going to want it or buy it or need it. Very example, recruiting, the recruiting challenge. We won the competition. We submitted a concept to reimagine the recruiting for the United States Air Force and were selected as a winner. And then a couple months later, they said, oh, we don't want it anymore. It would take too much time. Did they ask us how much time it would take? Talk about that at all or anything? No, but we gave them exactly what they wanted. 
a solution that will reimagine the Air Force recruiting and get people in seats. But they chose an app that lets you look at a BB-2 on your smartphone on the desk or the wall. Now you tell me, how many airmen did this app recruit? I will challenge you to say none, but it's just me. So, excuse me, that's a life lesson. Yeah. He said that's a hard thing to figure out. And if somebody needs help figuring that out and giving you a call, where can somebody find you if they want to? Yes, yeah, I'm Facebook. on LinkedIn, Daniel Gomez, LinkedIn. You go to my website, first person experience with an X.com. Hit me up there. If you want to play in the lab, give me a call. Living Adaptive Battlefield, we are, we're just getting started with that. We're trying to create a sandbox where we can play in and for the, to, to enhance our national securities. Yeah, I'm here for you. Anybody wants to talk about innovation, creativity, or stuff like that? That's awesome. And then my last question is, People listen to failing force or podcasts like this. Why do you think that that's so important? People want, people are looking, looking as they live their life, they experience challenges, they experience things that they enjoy, or they want problems that they want to solve or things that make sense to them. So when they're re reaching out to see podcasts like this, they're looking for kindred spurts. People to say, yeah, you and me both, brother, right? One of the greatest things, I did a Bunker Labs initiative back when I started my business and it was in New York in 2017. The best thing about that was getting with other entrepreneurs who are veterans and commiserating, right? Just like as, as a lieutenant, you get with the other platoon leaders and commiserate or warrant officers get with warrants and commiserate. It's like, yo, bro, I spent $5,000 on marketing and didn't get a single thing sold. And the other guy goes, bro, I spent $10,000 on an app that's illegal in seven states. And the other person goes, bro, I just had to cancel a $25,000 lease because the lawyer didn't do X, Y, and Z. So it's like, we learn from each other, but we also share our, our trials and tribulations and build each other up that way. So innovation, same thing. Man, I had a thing that will save the win the war for us and nobody wanted to listen. Bro, I hear that. My thing could have saved X amount of lives. Nobody listened. We want to commiserate, but we also want to learn uh, new skills and, and hear when. We also want to hear wins like six. Yeah. That's awesome. Danny, uh, thank you for sitting down and recording this in Kindred Spirits. Yeah. We're gonna hit we're gonna hit the end recording button here and probably continue to riff on some things that we're struggling with. So yeah, okay. man. Yeah. Great to have you. Thanks. I'll talk to you later. If you're still here, thank you so much. Um, thank you to Denlin Group for helping to craft this idea, put it together, and make it what it is, giving the heartbeat to the podcast as it stands. Um, keep coming back. We were going to record episodes with people like uh, we've got a Vietnam veteran who was a he was a, a lieutenant, second oldest person in his, in his platoon. He's going to share stories about leading through uh, the Vietnam War. We've got Matt Denny Mohawk uh, from Denlin Group. He's going to come share stories about branding and just generally being awesome. Um, we've got a sports psychologist who trains with Green Berets at Robin Sage there at Fort Bragg. Uh, people out of space. We've got 
people out of the banking industry, people out of uh, cybersecurity coming. It's, it's going to be awesome. So keep coming back. These episodes are just going to keep getting better.